What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabro. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, other half of the podcast. Dude, what's going on, bro? Happy Wednesday. Yes, sir. Got a day off from work, but it's about the, it's about the freaking storm outside. The thunder's been rolling for the last 15, 20 minutes or so. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed that uh, we don't lose power. I have to start this whole episode over again. But, bro, I'm good on this side. What about you? Same, bro. It's actually kind of crazy. The uh, storm's rolling through on my side, too, over here in Fort Myers. So it's uh, it's weird that Tampa and Fort Myers are getting rain at the same time. Typically, it either comes from me to you or it goes from you to me, but it's bro, a little creepy. Bro, it, it's peak summertime in Florida. Like, we're just, yeah. this is just the time of the year. So we just got to get used to it. But hey, as long as I'm in here and not out there, freaking slinging packages in the rain, bro, I'll take that any day. That's a fact. So. You know, like we said, we are in peak summertime, so when it comes to the the sports stories, they do kind of come at a luxury, So, but we do have a couple on the agenda for today, so Kevin, you ready to dive into these topics? Oh, yeah. All right, so uh, we're going to dive into some NBA topics at first. The first one we're going to go over is the Donovan Mitchell news coming out of Utah. Uh, Utah is actually open to the possibility of training their superstar piece in Donovan Mitchell, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN uh, put out a tweet yesterday. Well, when this actually drops, it'll be uh, on Tuesday. So overall, uh, the rumors have been circulating for the last couple days or so. But uh, Kevin and I will will dive into uh, the possibility of Donovan getting traded. Some, you know, one of us may believe that he may not end up getting traded. So that'll be a fun segment to go over. After that, we'll kick it over to the East Coast. Uh, with the Brooklyn Nets, uh, we'll provide an update on Kevin Durant and his trade status. I think as most of you guys know at this point already, uh, Kevin Durant asked for a trade about, I would say, what, a week ago? When he made his uh, initial? Yeah, about a week. Yeah, a week and a half. A week, yeah, week week and and a half. half. Oh, actually, two weeks because uh, I left on Thursday of last, no, of two weeks ago. Yeah, so it's two weeks now, yeah. So there really hasn't been a lot of movement. We've heard some small stories of potential packages that teams had sent to Brooklyn. Uh, really nothing significant, though, as far as any uh, movement on KD getting traded. Uh, so we'll talk about just where things stand and what we see potentially happening with KD down the road. Could he start day one of the NBA season with the Nets? Could he get traded before then? Or could he hold out? That's a possibility that we have to start entertaining as well if the Brooklyn Nets aren't able to find a suitable trade partner for Kevin. And then after that, we'll kick it over to the NFL for a topic. Uh, we're going to go over our top quarterbacks under the age of 25. So we have a lot of up-and-coming talent in the NFL at the quarterback position. This is just kind of like a fun segment as we get closer to training camp. Training camp is only, Kev, training camp is only going to be two weeks away. Two weeks away, thank so, goodness. Well, we we getting close, my guys. So we just gotta we gotta tough it out for the next two weeks. But this would be a fun segment going over who we thinks you know the better quarterbacks under the age of twenty five. And then after that, uh, since the MLB All Star break is approaching very soon, we're gonna go over basically the leaders and who we think are is winning like the NL MVP, the AL MVP, the AL uh, Cy Young Award and the NL Cy Young. So there's there's a bunch of different uh, accolades we can go over, but for the most part, we're really just going to go over the Cy Young in 
each league and the MVP on who we think is leading those specific categories as we transition into the all-star break in just a couple days from now. But that's pretty much the episode. Um, let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into this and uh, let's dive into this Donovan Mitchell news. So Kevin and I were discussing this before we started recording. So the Donovan Mitchell news is very interesting because Utah has been very busy this offseason. They've already traded Rudy Gobert, um, basically a defensive stalwart for the last five, six, seven years for Utah. And he is now with the Minnesota Timberwolves, where he'll be playing along the side of Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns. But now Donovan Mitchell's name is getting thrown into possible trade scenarios after Utah made it public that they could potentially be looking at some certain trade destinations if they get the right package for Donovan uh, in return. So, Kevin, there's a lot to go over here, but bro, I, I got to ask you, first of all, do you think that Donovan Mitchell is going to be traded this offseason by the Utah Jazz, or do you think that he's going to stay with the Jazz this upcoming season? I think he definitely gets traded. Um, I know that I stated a couple weeks ago when we made our predictions on whether or not Rudy or Donovan would go first. I had stated that Utah is probably in rebuild mode, especially after their head coach had retired. Um, and now as the offseason progresses and all of these other free agents have moved on and obviously uh, there's even more rumors that Mike Conley might get traded. It's just a matter of, I believe, they're looking to offload contracts. They're looking to rebuild. And I just believe that it, it fits the bill for what is going on right now in the NBA. Um, there were rumors that Donovan was linked to Miami. He was seen out with Dwayne Wade, Tyler Hero, uh, I believe Jimmy Butler out at a restaurant in Miami. Um, obviously, he was seen in New York working out with LeBron James and a couple of other NBA superstars. There are some rumors that he might be linked to uh, Brooklyn for a Kevin Durant possible swap, but I don't see KD going to Utah. But it's just weird that Utah went from, we're not trading our best player, a month, month and a half later goes by, you know, we're going to start listening to offers. I don't necessarily know where he's going to go. Um, it's not like the Kevin Durant situation where we have favorites and, you know, projected landing spots and all of these different things that you can make assumptions for and put theses together. But I personally believe that Donovan Mitchell will not be on the roster for the Utah Jazz come October. I mean, I got to say, it's a bold take. Um, when we looked at the scenario that Utah was facing going into the summer, I mean, we were both of the mindset that their front office saw this season as essentially an abject failure with them getting bounced out of the playoffs in the first round to none other of your Dallas Mavericks, which you, I don't even think you gave the Mavericks a chance to win that series. Shame on you for that. But Happens. overall, I thought with the pieces that Utah had, that they would still be a competitive force in the Western conference. But with Rudy Gobert gone and now potentially Donovan Mitchell on the way out, it, Kevin, it's hard for me to kind of go against the point of you, the point that you made in saying that it looks like Utah might be in a rebuild mode here, but I'm going to take the opposite position. And I think that despite all the rumors that are flying around right now, I think Donovan is going to stay. And it's simply because of this. So if Utah is going to go in full rebuild, I mean, you know, essentially that they've come to the conclusion that their championship window is closed and we got to basically go from, basically we had to go all the way back to square one. I don't know if they're at that point yet. I understand that they may be listening to trade offers um, for Donovan, 
but I think they may run into a situation that the Nets are running into right now. Kevin Durant uh, put it out to the world uh, just a couple of weeks ago where he wanted to trade out of Brooklyn, and it's been two weeks, and there really hasn't been any sort of significant movement when it comes to Kevin Durant just because I think it's safe to assume at this point that what Brooklyn is asking for in return for Kevin Durant is just too high for teams to be able to commit to. And I think when I look at the potential situation that Utah is going through right now with Donovan Mitchell, I mean, Donovan Mitchell is one of the most dynamic players in the NBA right now. Granted, I know it hasn't translated into playoff success, but that doesn't mean that he isn't nice. Donovan Mitchell is one of the best players who's still relatively young and has a huge upside for the next four to five years. I mean, he is a phenomenal player and a trade scenario that could play out like that. I mean, you're looking at a situation where, you know, you're talking about probably three or four draft picks, probably two, maybe even three players in return for that, for Donovan Mitchell. I mean, Donovan Mitchell is going to be a huge price tag. If a team is willing to commit that amount of capital to be able to acquire him. It's just, I think a lot of teams are going to run into the situation that Brooklyn has run into. And I think they're going to think that Utah is putting such a steep price on trying to get Donovan Mitchell out of Utah that I think it's actually going to disincentivize teams to be able to go after him. I mean, I mean, I'll give you an example. I think really the one team that's been linked to Donovan the most so far is probably New York. New York has really been really the focal piece of all these Donovan Mitchell rumors. I mean, there were rumors even a couple months ago, like if Donovan Mitchell were open to a trade or if Utah were open to a trade with Donovan Mitchell, that New York could be a possible landing spot for him. That was mostly just, those were just mostly like social media rumors. There was nothing really concrete or official. But now that we have Adrian Wojnarowski going, you know, public and, and saying that Utah is open to trading him, I mean, I, I can't deny the possibility that he will get traded. I just think if I were to look at this, I don't see it as like a 50 50 split of like he's just definitely getting traded compared to he's not getting traded. I've got this at like, 40% that he gets traded, but I have it at 60 that he's not going to get traded. It's just, I don't know if Utah from a front office perspective is ready to hit that buzzer and just flip this whole thing over and just start it over and start from scratch. I just don't think that they're there yet. I think they, they may look at just trade offers that they get around the league, just kind of do their due diligence to see what the value is for Donovan. But I think when it's all said and done, when it comes to day one of the upcoming season for the Utah Jazz. I do believe that Donovan Mitchell will be back uh, wearing a Jazz jersey, despite wh whatever's been floating around on social media the last couple days. But look, it could definitely happen. I can't rule it out either, but I'm going to say that he's going to stay with Utah despite all the rumors flying around. It's funny because, like I said in my point, we went from not trading our best player to now fielding offers. I saw something on Twitter, and as I always am scrolling through Twitter at random hours of the day, there was a hypothetical package that somebody drew up, and I don't remember where it came from. I don't know if it came from an analyst or something, but it was like a three-team trade that incorporated, uh, actually four-team, the Pacers, the Nets, the Jazz, and the Suns. The Suns get KD. Brooklyn goes out and gets random players i don't remember if it's uh, if it's the players from phoenix and whatnot i think it might be i think it might be cameron Payne. or excuse me cam johnson and a couple of other players from from phoenix uh the pacers get deandre ayton and then 
Of course not. Oh, and then Utah goes and gets Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, and a couple of other players. And, of course, draft picks are going to be swapped throughout this entire thing. And, uh, you know, of course, cash and whatnot. But I feel like a trade like that has to be eminent if we're seeing all of these trade rumors start to spark up. Mike Conley isn't randomly being traded because his contract is pretty expensive. He's due almost $30 million this season. Donovan Mitchell's due almost $40 million this season. Uh, Rudy Gobert was due $41 million this offseason. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're truly and honestly offsetting their books to have a completely fresh team and just bring in a a fresh group of talent. You have Jordan Clarkson that's still there. Royce O'Neal was traded to Brooklyn. So then again, I don't really know what else they're doing because they don't really have any other notable players that could provide meaningful minutes and make them successful. Um, But what I'm getting at is, I think that the stars are not just randomly aligning. I don't think this is an accident. I think this is something that is has been in the works for a while. And I think Donovan's agents have finally just accepted, like, you know what? It's time to let this go. We got to get out of here. I'm not saying that I think that this is going to happen for sure. I'm not saying that I believe that this is a 100% a guarantee. I just think that this process would be interesting, especially if Donovan ends up going out there to Brooklyn. Uh, it just... I don't know. He'd end up being home, but not fully home. But I, I just think this would be really, really interesting for this offseason. It's just, to me, it's too convenient. Well, I, let me be practical here for a second. Do you really see a four-team trade involving like Donovan Mitchell and Kevin Durant in the same package? I, I, it, I makes just, it makes sense obviously like, the rumors, because obviously like, the rumors of where these players would go, like in terms of like... There has been links to DeAndre Ayton to the Pacers for the last three days. There have yep. been rumors and links that obviously uh, Donovan, not Donovan Mitchell, that Kevin Durant wants to go to Phoenix. There have been rumors as to what Brooklyn would acquire from Phoenix in this package. The only thing that needs to be completed is Donovan Mitchell also gets swapped. And then obviously you have Kevin Durant getting to the destination that he wants. Everybody in this trade gets a player that they want or a piece that they want. Utah gets players to build with. Ben Simmons starts over in the Western Conference, gets a shooter in Seth Curry. Now it's just a matter of signing some additional pieces. It, it, it's, I'm not saying it's happening. I'm not saying does, this is the trade. I'm saying that it makes sense. Does Phoenix own the rights to Aiton's contract, or is he unrestricted? No, they own the rights. They own the, so he's they drafted him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because, I mean, I can kind of see where you're coming from with it. I just don't know if... It would they be a would, sign and trade. Yeah, I, I mean, they, they could do that. I think that that would more likely just be like a trade between Phoenix and Indiana if that were to happen. I'm just saying hypothetically. I don't think yeah. it would be a part of this whole this four-team trade scenario where it involves Kevin going to Phoenix. I, I think that would be separate. It, it was just a, an accumulation of random things. Again, Twitter doesn't have any validations behind it or any supporting no, information. It, 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 it just does. seemed so interesting. It's very interesting. On paper, it is. It's just, it's when you put that theory like into practice, like what are the odds? Like you would like see like Woj drop a tweet where it's a 14 trade and you have players like Kevin Durant and DeAndre Ayton in that trade package. I, I mean, it would, the, it would the way the NBA is going, bro, the way it's I mean, going, I, I wouldn't be surprised. That may be Dude, Adam, 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 Adam Silver said it publicly yesterday. I remember, I saw it. He's like disappointed and he wishes that, you know, players wouldn't have this much power. Bro, if Donovan Mitchell decides to blow a fit and Ben Simmons is like, you know what? Fuck this. 
I'm not sitting here in this dumpster fire in Brooklyn. I came here for KD and Kyrie. Now they're, you know what I'm saying? Like it just, it would make sense, bro. All these superstars on each respective team. Aiton's done with Phoenix. KD's absolutely fed up with Brooklyn. I don't think Kyrie's involved in this package, but we know Kyrie's looking to get out. We know that Ben Simmons is the only player right now that's potentially not looking to leave. And now Donovan Mitchell is the only piece of this hypothetical that is now available randomly in the middle of the week. It's too convenient for this to not be correlated with something. Well, well, let me ask you this. Do you believe that these players aren't necessarily holding up their end of the bargain when it comes to signing these contracts initially? I'm saying like, um, what, what I mean is, if you sign a four-year deal with mm-hmm. a new team in free agency, and year two, you're halfway through the contract, and things just are tire fire, or they're just not going the way that you originally foresaw when you initially signed the contract. What I mean is, do you believe like players should be able to stick out that contract just because they signed it with that team? Or do you still give them the freedom to want to look for another destination to play with, despite the fact that they're on that four-year contract? I'm old-fashioned. I say stay with it. But in the sense of Donovan, for the example, he just signed an extension a year or two ago. It's not his fault his head coach that he liked resigned. It's not his fault Rudy Gobert wasn't happy and Rudy left. It's not his fault that the front office now wants to trade him because it's not like he's publicly stating, I want out. In this case, Donovan Mitchell, if he were to turn around and say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore, I'm done. That's Utah's fault. Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant knew what he was getting into when he signed with Kyrie three, four years ago to go to Brooklyn. He knew that Kyrie has on-the-court issues, off-the-court issues. He knows the ego that Kyrie states. I think that one's on Kevin Durant. That was his decision. He made his bed. He's got to lay in it. And him giving up on the team, like I said last week, that's just, it rubs me the wrong way, and it, it, that's going to taint his legacy. Ben Simmons hasn't said anything, so I can't say anything there. And then, of course, DeAndre Ayton publicly has said he's probably done. He wanted the max extension that he could have gotten last year, and he had a great season this year. I think Phoenix, I think Phoenix fucked up. They should have paid him because he's giving you a double-double every night. He's a big that can shoot. He's a big that can guard. He's constantly uh, getting better every single year from the field goal, from the from, from the field as well as the free throw percentages that he can put up. It's that's on Phoenix. Phoenix decided to extend a thirty-some-year-old point guard. Phoenix decided to extend Devin Booker once again when he didn't technically need it. He just signed an extension. I want to say three years ago. Let DeAndre Ayton get his bag. DeAndre, I believe, after four seasons and not getting his fifth year picked up, rightfully deserves to be upset. But my point to this is there are certain situations in this example that we're talking about where KD doesn't deserve it. Donovan Mitchell and DeAndre Ayton, that's understandable for them to want to leave after dealing with what they've had to go through for the past couple of years. So it depends on the individual situation. Exactly. But just looking at a situation and saying, things ain't shaping up the way I want it, I'm out. Like that, That's what KD did in essence, in my opinion. That's just not okay. I mean, I'm of the mindset that KD had different aspirations to go to Brooklyn. Other than yeah, no, we, we, we talked about it. He wants to, you know, make the money to be in New York, TV, ad, commercials, all that yeah, stuff. The money he, that you he, can make when in, in New York is ridiculous as a player. Because here's the thing, and this is the one thing that I think, I think NBA fans in general just need to just fully come to understand. Just because some player is going to a new city doesn't mean, like, their sole purpose is playing for that team. Like, right. their sole purpose of going somewhere is to play with that team. That is not necessarily the case. 
I understand like when it comes to their career, their primary, you know, the primary reason why they got to the position that they're at is because of basketball. But, you know, once, once you get into your thirties, you almost have to start playing like an exit strategy. Yeah. And I think, and I think Kevin's, I think Kevin may have set up one uh, when it comes to trying to establish something as far as just the, the media enterprises or really the, the media adventures that he's taken on the last couple of years in New York. I think he, he, that may be something he comes back to if he ends up getting traded. You know, if he ends up getting traded for Brooklyn, he'll be wherever he's going to be for the next couple of years. But I think, you know, w- when his career does come to an end, come to an end, it's actually kind of coming up closer than we think. Yeah, 34 you know, years old, absolutely. So it, it wouldn't surprise me, you know, Kevin goes goes back full circle and goes back to New York after his NBA career comes to an end. But, you know, that's just Kev, like that's just Durant's example. You know, yeah. it looks like Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell could just totally be in favor of just, you know, sticking to basketball and, you know, that's his main driving force in his life. And, you know, maybe he doesn't really have aspirations outside of basketball at this current moment in time. Kevin's a, you know, it kind of depends on the person, but I, I mean, to me, there are multiple factors that all these players have to consider when it comes to deciding to play for a new team. You know, obviously team success is one thing, but it's like, you know, you got kids or something like that, bro. You got to find schools, you know, you got to find, you know, decent place to live. You, you know, there, there's a bunch of different things that all these players kind of have to like focus on and then adjust to on the fly. So, you know, just because like if Donovan were to get like traded to, like New York or something like that. I mean, it'd be great for Knicks fans because the Knicks would finally have something to celebrate over. But it depends on if he were to go to the Knicks or if he would be packaged into something for, again, these are all hypotheticals, but the point is, yeah, I agree. You know how crazy it would be if Donovan went to the, the freaking, uh, the Nets instead of, uh, I think that would be hysterical personally because everybody talked about it. Like, Kyrie and KD supposedly were supposed to come to New York, and then they ended up going to Brooklyn, and well, it would just York. be. Uh, but you know York. what I mean. You know what I mean. But yeah. it would be comical that the hometown guy, the guy from New York, actually ends up going to Brooklyn. I think that would be hysterical. What is uh? What's the Barclay Center on? Like, what street is it called? Over in Brooklyn. Oh my God. Is it Madison Ave? No, Madison's in Manhattan. I can't remember. Oh, 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 that's mad. I'm an idiot. Madison Square Garden. Wow. I'm an idiot. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. But it, regardless, now we can perfectly transition into this Brooklyn topic because yeah. this KD shit has also kind of spiraled into a situation to where Kyle and I both believe KD is probably going to end up holding out. The trade value and the market is just not looking good for Kevin Durant. So basically to get into it, Kevin Durant requested a trade three weeks, two weeks ago. And obviously, Brooklyn was trying to field the best offer. There were rumors of him being linked to Miami. There were rumors of him being linked to Phoenix. There were rumors of him being linked to, of course, now I'm going to forget another random. Oh, Minnesota. Minnesota, yeah. And apparently, Brooklyn's asking price for each of those places were just through the roof and completely unreasonable. And I'll give you an example of the Minnesota trade that was leaked and tweeted from all over the place. I don't remember the direct source, but the confirmation was probably from Wolger Shams, more than likely. I laugh because it's like, I can't believe this was asked. Brooklyn asked for, in return for Kevin Durant, Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, and multiple first-round picks. In what planet, in what stratosphere do you think that Kevin Durant is going to be worth 
two pivotal concrete building pieces that are growing in Minnesota that are becoming superstars for a 34-year-old injury-prone, what seems to be bad leader and headache in the locker room in Kevin Durant. Why would Minnesota give up their entire future for an older superstar that probably doesn't even want to play in Minnesota? Then you got, they asked for DeAndre Ayton. Um, they also asked for Cameron Johnson and Devin Booker to be in the trade for Brooklyn, or excuse me, for Phoenix. And Mikel Bridges, I believe, was also a part of one of those trades. Then in Miami, they wanted Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, and I think they were going to offset the Kyle Lowry contract. I don't remember the exact specifications, but you guys can see Brooklyn is asking for such a steep price for KD. And it just doesn't seem to be going well for them because teams are absolutely declining those phone calls. So Kyle, I'm going to ask you, with everything increasing and how this situation has basically gone from holy shit, KD's about to leave to it only let KD going anywhere. What are your thoughts on Kevin Durant potentially being in a Brooklyn Nets uniform come day one of the opening season? I actually think that it's a growing possibility, like as more time goes on. Well, it's like you said, Kev, a lot of these trade rumors. Uh, the, dude, there's a massive thunderstorm outside. I don't know if that's like, what that was. Yeah, I don't know if like the microphone <laughs> picked it up, but bro, like the lightning bolt was literally like probably like a half mile away from me. Bro, that, that's there's creepy. a big yeah, it's a big storm rolling through right now. But uh, t- to get back on point, yeah, I think that it's a growing possibility that that Kevin Durant's going to be starting with the Nets day one. Now that doesn't mean that's necessarily going to happen. I mean, really, Kevin Durant put out the the trade request two weeks ago, and Kevin just outlined a bunch of trade scenarios that to me just seem like unfathomable for teams to be able to agree to. You, you're basically mortgaging like a third of your team to be able to land one person. Maybe, you know, Brooklyn would throw in other pieces just to kind of add to it. But by and large, like, Kevin, you you mentioned the, the Phoenix uh, trade proposal where Brooklyn would want, you said, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Cameron Johnson, and even like Mikhail Bridges as well. That's yep. way too steep. That is extremely too steep. I don't care what, you know, Phoenix aspirations are. That is not something that they should commit to. I don't think any team that should be willing to give up that much for Kevin Durant. I understand Kevin Durant is a great player, but let's kind of put this into perspective here. He's 34 years old. This is not Kevin Durant coming off of championship titles when he was playing with Golden State in the prime of his career. That's not to say that, you know, Kevin Durant's a scrub or anything like that. No, he's extremely viable despite the fact, you know, he's 34 years old and has been more injury prone the last couple of years. However, in the last couple of years, I think it's been the last three years specifically, Kyrie Irving has played more games than Kevin Durant. And Kyrie, he's a headache just by himself with the amount of distractions he gets himself involved in. So when I look at Durant, Durant's a great player, but really his availability has been an issue. He is getting older. And despite whatever you would try to trade for Kevin Durant. I don't think that it's worth it at this current point in time, no matter what you're getting in return with KD's services. I think if teams were really desperate, like you would take a really desperate team to be able to go out on a limb and basically say, we're going to basically give up a third of our team, damn near half of our team and mortgage the next two to three years of our draft capital to be able to commit to landing KD. I just don't think that it's worth it. So I think just as more time goes on, 
and these trade proposals that Brooklyn's offering to teams across the league keep getting shut down. I think the growing possibility of him playing for the Nets is starting to increase rapidly. However, though, at the same time, I think a holdout could potentially be coming as well. It just depends on how willing Katie's able to stay away from the Nets this upcoming season. And that could be a possibility depending on what his overall relationship status is with the Nets front office. I I imagine it's not in a good place if, you know, Katie's asking for a trade request two weeks ago. It could be a situation that could be resolved slightly as time goes on throughout the summer. But overall, I, I think a holdout could potentially be looming here just because if Kevin is dead set on leaving Brooklyn and it's just not able to happen, the Nets could be looking at Kevin basically saying it's like, you know, we could still try to work out a trade deal throughout the season, but you know, you're going to have to be able to play with us during the meantime. And Kevin may not commit to that. So I think there's definitely a lot more information that we still have to wait uh, to release when it comes to Kevin's status for this upcoming season. But I think two things can be true at the same time. I think that the likelihood of playing for the Nets this upcoming season is increasing. However, at the same time, I do believe that a holdout from Kevin specifically, is increasing as well. And that's really just kind of how I see things at this current moment in time with Kevin. Yeah, with with this situation, just kind of like, I guess, the snowball effect is kind of going in reverse. Uh, it's kind of losing steam. I just think Brooklyn might be doing this deliberately just because they know for a fact they're not going to get what they want for him. And we've seen teams hold players hostage before. Uh, we've seen uh, individuals just choose not to play. I mean, look what happened with John Wall in Houston. Great talent. Just said, you know what? Not happy here. I want to trade. They said, you know what? We'll pay you your salary. Just don't play this year. Boom. Ended up getting bought out. He got a fully guaranteed contract last year. Did not suit up once. Ends up getting bought out for the remainder of the contract and then signs an additional deal with the Clippers this year. I'm not saying that they're going to buy Kevin Durant out just because of the amount of money left on his contract since he signed an extension last year. But... Look, Ben Simmons did it last year. Ben Simmons was like, bro, find me a tradable, find me a suitable trade place that I can go and I'm going to be happy and I'm not going to touch the court or even be with the team. I feel that Kevin Durant could very well do the same thing because one, you're 34 years old. You're not going to risk your body and your health to play for a team that you don't want to knowing that you don't believe that this team is going to compete for a championship. You're going to wait until you find something that's in front of you that you have the opportunity to be successful and bring in some more hardware. Whether that's a destination that you want to be or not is completely up to Brooklyn and that front office staff. But in terms of Kevin Durant's camp, I wouldn't be surprised if they advise him, hold out. You got enough money to pay the NBA fines. Clearly, Ben Simmons had enough. We all know KD has more money than Ben Simmons based off of career earnings alone and endorsements. Um, this is going to be a long holdout, especially if these conversations continue to go the way they're going. I mean, Philadelphia was asking for, I think, two or three first-round pick picks plus uh, all-star caliber players for uh, you know Ben Simmons last year. And now Kevin Durant is 10 times better, even at 34, than Ben Simmons is. So we all know that that haul is going to be quite large, no matter who the suitor is. So long story short, KD's probably going to still be in Brooklyn come tip-off for opening week. But it's just a matter of will he be courtside, will he be suited up, or will he just be at home saying, I'll wait till you guys call me. I don't know. But it's just, it's definitely 
It's interesting. It's just not the interesting way that Kyle and I wanted it to be because we definitely would have hoped there would have been some traction as to, you know, rumors heating up about him going here or a potential suitor clearing cap space for here. Instead, it's the complete opposite. Brooklyn's basically asking for the world and Kevin Durant is just, he's not, he doesn't cost that much anymore, at least in my opinion. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because I think you were, you were open to the idea of, like Kevin, you know, possibly moving on from Brooklyn a couple of weeks ago. And you were the mindset when I think it was initially when Kevin wasn't talking to the Nets front office. Like, was it like a month after the season had ended? Just because I was of the mindset. About, yeah. I, th- I was of the mindset that, you know, Katie was doing his own thing, probably going on vacation and stuff. And you were the mindset that, you know, no, this actually had some significance to it uh, at the time. And I mean, I give you credit for that. You, you know, you actually ended up calling it on that one. So, I give you a lot it's of a weird, credit. It's a that. weird. It's a weird intuition, bro. Especially because nowadays we're in that era of social media. Everybody's monitoring what you tweet, what you say, what you post, who you tag, for no communication. That's just a. That's a generational thing. That's well, this era's like. Well, oh let shit! Me, that's let, not a good let, thing. Let me put it into perspective. You know, whenever I see something like on social media, and it kind of, it kind of contains a more, like negative or. I guess in this case, like more like a, like there's instability. There's like an instability implication with something like that. When the information gets dropped about, oh, Kevin hasn't spoken to the Nets organization in the last month or so. Like it, to me, there's a bunch of different ways that you could look at that. Like, you know, my interpretation of that was Kevin's doing his own thing. He's on vacation. Like, do they need to be like literally buddy, buddy the entire time? No. And I was in the mindset that, you know, as we got closer to the season, there would probably be some, I would assume, some communication between both camps, especially during free agency, just because obviously, you know, teams say that, you know, players don't have an influence on free agency. Of course they do. And I imagine, you know, had things been running smoothly between Kevin and the front office that, you know, the front office would have contacted Kevin thinking like, you know, we're, we're thinking about like this free agent move this one you know what are your thoughts just kind of like little things like that but apparently there was more weight to it than i originally gave it credit so i i'm really surprised uh that things got to where they are right now like when katie actually just put out to the world that he was gonna you know put the trade request out there but you know it's been two weeks and we haven't really seen much movement. I mean, usually, like, if there's, like, a trade that's really imminent coming, usually, like, you see, like, these insiders really start putting out some info in regards to that. And there really hasn't been anything significant from either, like, Woj or Brian Windhorse, really any major, even Shams. None of those guys have been really, t- like, honed in on this KD trade the last week or so. There, if anything, it's probably like the Donovan Mitchell stuff just because that's probably like the new one on the block right now. But right. overall, it, it, it does seem like two weeks ago, like if you were to like basically turn on a pot of boiling water, like uh, that pot was boiling two weeks ago with the whole KD rumors. Now it seems like that, that temperature is like medium. It, it definitely seems like the heat of that initial trade request, it has simmered a little bit it hasn't simmered to the point like where it's not boiling anymore but i think the temperature is definitely going down you know what i mean no 100 percent. and dude it's 
like I had said a few minutes ago, from the hype to where it is now, it's I'm down. telling you, bro, Brooklyn has completely shot themselves in the foot at potentially offloading him anywhere in the near future. In our opinion, we don't have any credible sources to say that this can't be done tomorrow morning. You know what I mean? The yeah. NBA tends to work in silence. So, I mean, there could be a call at 4.45 in the morning. Yo, we agree. And then the trade goes through after a physical legitimately in the next week. So it's, we have no recollection or knowledge of anything that could be happening. This is just what we think based off of what we've seen so far. Yeah. And, and overall, you know, like Kevin said, something could happen tomorrow. And it would blind. Well, first of all, it blindsided. I think the world, like Twitter, would just like Excellent. break down. So, you know, things could happen very quickly. But I think, I think if we were to be somewhat rational here. I don't think anything's actually going to happen within the next week or so. I don't think anything big is going to happen. If anything, it might not be until probably like August. But I, I think the likelihood of him playing for the Nets is increasing. But that holdout likelihood is going up as well. So. And two things can be true at the same time. I'm kind of like of that mindset when it comes to Durant. But Brooklyn could be in some real trouble, bro. Like I said, I think it was last week we both said, like, depending on how Brooklyn plays this out, they they get rid of Kyrie and Durant, bro. They they instantly become an NBA black hole. Like, almost instantaneously. Depending on what they get back for those two players. Because, again, we've talked about a multitude of times the roster that's left based off of what we've seen. A healthy Ben Simmons, a Seth Curry. Obviously, you have Nicholas Claxton that showed promise in terms of rebounding and defensive. Uh, Bruce Brown showed that he can score the basketball when need be. Uh, Patty Mills resigned, and whatever haul they get from both players, there are going to be some pieces that are playable in that formula that is Brooklyn. So. Steve Nash will have something to compete. I think that this roster could be a playoff contending team. Depending on what they get back, they might even be better than they were last year because we've seen when you link up three superstars, it's an ego issue. And Goran Dragic made a comment about it in which Kyle and I were about to talk about in a second. It wasn't about the team. It was about individuality. Who was more important? Which one of those two were going to get off in terms of scoring? Which one of those players were going to have a, a better game? When you play like that, that's not that's not that's not basketball. That's pick a ball outside. When it becomes a selfish locker room, and obviously both players were already a distraction enough between injuries, the James Harden trade, uh, Kyrie Stanton vaccinations, and whatever have you, uh, it definitely becomes a an issue. And Steve Nash is going to get the all the all the backlash because he's the coach. Looks like he can't manage the house. Looks like he can't control his players. Looks like he can't uh, relate to his players and getting them uh, situated and going. When in reality, you have two headache players right there. And James Harden was the third. And Ben Simmons ended up being the fourth because he said he was going to play and then didn't. <laughs> so Brooklyn looks crazy, but it's not the coach's fault and it's not the personnel's. It's the players. And, and I don't and, know, man. I think Brooklyn might be able. I think Brooklyn will be okay. Hey, if I was, you know, running the freaking Nets front office, I'm like, hey, I, I got all these players in here. You got to figure it out. From the front office perspective, I mean, I mean, Kevin, if you were sitting in their front office and you were able to land Katie and Kyrie uh, initially, and then you got James Harden on top of that, I feel like from a front office perspective, I'm like, we just got basically like three of the top 10 players in the NBA, and you guys can't translate that into playoff success? The front office, I don't think, is really to blame here. They, they made the effort. I mean, they... They made the effort to try to get James Harden, and I just it just was shocking that 
completely backfired. How many games did, did KD, Kyrie, and James actually play together? Wasn't it like less four? than twenty? I think it was like sixteen, maybe. It was cr- definitely less than twenty. Jesus, I mean, that's that's just a that's a disaster when it comes to the experiment. But sucks to suck. I, if I'm sitting in the front office, I'm like, hey, I got those guys here. Freaking Steve Nash and the coaching staff couldn't get it right. That's on them. But yep. agreed. But I mean, overall, I mean, you know, we'll kind of see how it plays out for Brooklyn. Things are uh, unstable to say the least in Brooklyn at this current moment in time. Facts. But um, with that said, we're going to transition to our NFL portion of the episode, and that is going to be focusing on the younger talent that's developing at the quarterback position at this current moment in time. So we have a lot of great talent at the quarterback position under the age of 25 in the NFL at this current moment in time. I mean, just to cite one, for example, I mean, we got Joe Burrow, Cincinnati Bengals, led the team all the way to a Super Bowl appearance against the Los Angeles Rams this past season. Uh, came up short in that regard, but he's somebody that more than likely Kevin and I will both mention. I mean, other guys like Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson. I mean, there's a boatload of guys that Kevin and I are going to go over uh, in our top five list when it comes to quarterbacks under the age of 25 in the NFL. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, who are your top five quarterbacks under the age of 25 in the NFL right now? I'm going to go in order of five to one. Uh, At five, personally, once again, in my opinion, I have Jalen Hurts of the Philadelphia Eagles. At four, I'm going to go with Kyler Murray. At three, I have... um, Oh my goodness, I just went blank. Three, I have Lamar Jackson. At two, I have Justin Herbert. And at number one, I have Joe Burrow. Uh, The only reason I have uh, Jalen Hurts in there is because I just realized that Josh Allen turned 26 uh, during this offseason, if not midseason. So technically, he's not under 25 anymore. He's 26. Uh, So that's the reason why I don't have the big arm in there. And obviously, Patrick Mahomes is, I think, 26 or 27 also. Uh, Jalen Hurts. In Philadelphia, now has A.J. Brown. Devontae Smith had a great season, and now they have a fully healthy offensive line. I think that he's going to take that next step. However, I will say that he is on that last straw, just like Tua Tungavailoa. They have the weapons. They have the coaching staff. I think that he needs to take that next step in decision-making and being able to understand sometimes I have to extend the play, not all the time with my legs, but the fact that he can be mobile, that's going to be the reason why I have him in that fifth spot. At four, Kyler Murray, we all know he's an MVP caliber quarterback. We all know that he has the receiving core out there in Arizona with DeAndre Hopkins and that cast. We all know that he can move with his legs as well. Um, He tends to have weird offset moments where he starts hot, finishes cold. Cliff Kingsbury seems to have that system very well oiled behind him. So it's just a matter of can he remain consistent? But again, with him being as young as he is, as mobile as he is, and as athletic as he is, That is the reason why I have him at four. Lamar Jackson, we all know he's changed the game. He's won an MVP before. He is the entire system that is the Baltimore Ravens offense. We know that Mark Andrews is there. Unfortunately, he lost Hollywood Brown. It's just going to be a matter of can he carry Baltimore to that record once again. Before he got hurt last year, I believe they were 7-2 and or 8-2, and and then they ended up losing the rest of their games for the rest of the season, which shows the value of how important he is to that system. Uh, Justin Herbert is in front of him only because one, I believe that he's a better pure passer Two, I believe that they have better weapons. Three. I also think that Justin Herbert, I know he's only been in the league two years as opposed to Lamar's four or five. I think that Justin Herbert with him being healthy, him having a better supporting cast around him. And again, this is a quarterback prediction. I think that Justin Herbert is just a better overall quarterback than Lamar, not to take away from the athleticism that Lamar Jackson presents on the field. 
I just think Justin Herbert is a better overall pocket passer. He has a better arm, and I think that he is a better quarterback. And then, of course, at number one, Joe Burrow coming off of a Super Bowl appearance. We all know that he's got the poise, and he did what he did without an offensive line. He was sacked, I think, a total of over 70 times in the season, including the playoffs. That has to say something because they signed three offensive linemen in the offseason, and they're bringing that back the receiving core that is T. Higgins, obviously uh, Jamar Jackson. Wow. Jamar Chase. And then uh, Tyler Boyd. We all know that Joe Burrow took a massive jump in year two, coming off of an ACL injury. Year three, the sky's the limit. Yeah, but I have pretty much the, the similar players that you have in your top five, uh, outside of one. But in, in similar fashion, I'm going to start at five and then work on my way down to number one. Also, by the way, before uh, we started recording, I know I had my list. I just changed it like two minutes ago. So Ooh, I'm, kind of, okay. I'm kind of adapting this on the fly. All right, so at number five, um, I have Mac Jones. Uh, Mac Jones with the New England Patriots. I thought he had a pretty good rookie campaign last season. Um, for somebody who's a rookie coming into the NFL and be able to complete 67% of his passes in the first year, I, I got to give kudos to that. He was a big reason why New England was really able to bounce back uh, for the year prior. That was the year when Cam Newton was the starter. Just overall, the Patriots were just... They were just off the entire season. Just seemed like Camp couldn't get them in a rhythm. But it seems like Mac was able to stabilize the, the the offensive side of the Patriots. And I thought overall, him throwing for 3,800 yards, throwing 22 touchdowns to 13 interceptions, you know, basically having a QBR, basically like basically mid tier on his first year in the NFL. I got to give the kid props for that. I think going into his second year, I think he will continue to develop. I actually think he's going to pass for. Over 4,000 yards this upcoming season. They have a pretty decent wide receiving core to work with, with guys like uh, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith. I definitely think that we're going to see some progression from Mac Jones this upcoming season. And I think overall, right now, for quarterbacks under the age of 25, I have Mac at number five. So at number four, I have Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is... A very athletic quarterback, and I think one of the things that I love about Kyler is his ability to be able to extend plays uh, outside of the pocket. He's very quick, and he's able to really scamper out of pretty good pass rushes against the defenses he's going up against. And he could scamper for 10 to 15 yards, pick up first downs, especially when it comes to crucial third down conversions. Now, the one thing uh, that I would like to see from Kyler, just as we kind of get towards, I would say, like, the middle part of his career is hopefully as time goes on, uh, he stays a little bit more healthy. He did miss some time last year with an ankle injury. And I think that did hinder Arizona success a little bit, but overall I think Kyler is in a good place right now with the Arizona Cardinals. Obviously, you know, the injury issue is something that we have to keep in mind moving forward, but you know, for as small as he is and granted, you know, height is kind of a disadvantage in his regard. He's able to overcome it and he's able to, consistently put up decent numbers throwing around 20 to 25 touchdowns a year throwing a relatively decent completion rating on top of that so overall i think kyler's in a good place i definitely think that he deserves to be in the top five for quarterbacks under 25 years old and that's why i have him at number four and number three i have lamar jackson lamar jackson is just a beast i understand that baltimore doesn't have a lot of wide receivers to work with at this current moment in time it seems like Lamar is able to basically carry the team on his back single-handedly because when you look at last year specifically, he was essentially the main driving force 
for that offense, despite the fact that they just didn't have a lot of targets to field at the wide receiver position. Really, the only reliable target that he had the entire year last year was Mark Andrews. And, you know, the one wide receiver target that he had, Hollywood Brown, was inconsistent to say the least, and he's no longer with the team. So overall, you know, even though that I don't think that Lamar Jackson is going to have a successful year this upcoming season, what he's able to do, be able to run out of the pocket, he's one of the fastest quarterbacks, if not the fastest quarterback I've ever seen. When he really takes off, his speed is just unbelievable at the quarterback position. His athleticism is just on another level. It's just, it's unfortunate that it doesn't seem like the pieces that he's going to have around him are going to be able to lead to successes over this upcoming season. So overall, I have Lamar Jackson at three just because he's a phenomenal athlete. He's shown me over the last year or so that he can carry a team on the offensive side of the ball single-handedly. It just this year, I don't think it's going to work out for him in the long run, but definitely a top five quarterback, a top five quarterback under the age of 25. And I have him at number three at number two, Kevin, you might get on me with this one. I have Joe Burrow at number two. So the reason why I have Joe Burrow at number two and not Justin what? Herbert is what I'm going to say Joe Burrow at number two. And I'll get to it. The reason why I have Joe Burrow at number two is I understand that he led the Cincinnati Bengals to a Super Bowl appearance this past season. However, when I look at the playoffs specifically, it seemed to me that the defense really kept that team together because there were times where Joe Joe was struggling. And granted, I know the offensive line was a major issue. I mean, for God's sakes, the guy got sacked nine times in the divisional round game. Uh, against the Titans. But it seemed like to me, like as the Bengals went farther into the playoffs, it seemed like their defense really stood tall and gave Joe Burrow and the offense a chance. And the reason why is when I look at the AFC Championship game um, against the Chiefs, the Chiefs got off to a great start. The, the Chiefs were on firing on all cylinders. And then they fell apart in the second half. They couldn't score. And it was in large part due to Cincinnati's defense. And then in the Super Bowl, I, I thought Joe Burrow was okay, but you know, going up against a top-tier defense like the Rams, Joe Burrow did fall short in that regard. Now, overall, I think Joe Burrow is a phenomenal quarterback. I think he's you know, well-deserving to be in this top-five list. There's no doubt about that. It's just when I look at what he's done throughout his career so far, I'm actually more impressed with what Justin has done. Justin's almost thrown... 70 touchdowns in his first two seasons in the NFL. If I look at Joe Burrow's stats correctly, Joe only has 47 touchdowns. Joe Burrow is a great quarterback. I think that, you know, he's going to be one of the top guys in the NFL, at the quarterback position for the next 10 years. He's on that trajectory. He could be the best quarterback in the NFL within the next five years or so. Like, I think he's on that type of trajectory. It's just at this current moment in time, I do believe that as an individual talent, Joe Burrow is second to my number one pick, and that is Justin Herbert. The reason why I've got Justin Herbert over Joe Burrow is that at such a young age with, with what Justin has done, Justin's a phenomenal quarterback. I mean, the guy threw for over 5,000 yards in his second season, threw 38 touchdowns to 15 interceptions, and had a QBR rating 
of 65. That's third in the NFL. I mean, it's a phenomenal stat at such a young age. And I understand that the system that the the Chargers run compared to what the Bengals run with Joe Burrow are entirely different because, look, the Chargers, they run and gun. Like, they have the receivers to be able to spread the field, throw the ball deep, and Justin is somebody that could be that can stand up to that challenge and basically go toe to toe with any quarterback. I mean, when we look at last season in particular, one of the biggest accomplishments that I think Justin Herbert had the entire year was going on the road to to Kansas city and defeating Patrick Mahomes and outplaying Mahomes in that game. Justin Herbert was phenomenal early in the season and it continued throughout the regular season. Granted, it didn't end in success because they didn't make the playoffs. They got bounced. Um, they were trying to get into the playoffs when they played the Raiders. It just didn't work out for them. But overall, what Justin Herbert has done in the first two years of his career, throwing almost 70 touchdowns to 25 interception, which is almost a 3-1 to one touchdown interception ratio. I got to give the kid props for that. He has really shown me that he is a dynamic quarterback that can sling it. He's relatively effective at completing passes. And I think overall, I know it's kind of a hot take, but I do believe that when it comes to an individual talent for a quarterback under the age of 25, I think Justin Herbert leads the way. So to kind of just wrap this up, at number five, I have Mac Jones. At number four, I have Kyler Murray. At number three, I have Lamar Jackson. At number two, I have Joe Burrow. I know people are going to dunk on me for that one. And then at number one, I have Justin Herbert. That's just how I see it. Threw me for a damn loop. I'm not going to lie. I told you, bro. I I was changing. Like, I was kind of thinking over it, like basically like the last 10 minutes or so. No, I, I, I understand your point. And to an, to an extent, I, I can agree and see where you're coming from. It's just... Joe has that it factor for me. I said it all last season. The swagger, the confidence, and he did it all with a horrible offensive line. You now give him protection, and that remaining cast stays the same outside of his tight end. I really think that he takes that next step. I'm not saying the Bengals are going to go back to the Super Bowl, but he now has a season under his belt where he's showed that he can dominate the league. He takes things personal, and he doesn't really express it verbally. He does it on the field which is just unheard of for people in this generation, or should I say in that generation, because he's a little bit younger than me. Uh, usually they respond, they, they kind of hold it on their shoulder, and they'll, 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 they'll say it to the media. Joe's kind of one of those players like, I'll wait, I'll wait till Sunday. So, uh, you know, that, that definitely took me for a surprise, but I, I love Justin Herbert. He's got an incredible talent. The kid's got a, a, a gunsling for an arm, and I, I think that the Chargers can actually make some noise if they can actually improve on the defensive end, in which they have in signing Khalil Mack or trading for Khalil Mack and all of these different players. So we'll see what happens. Um, but the list is, is, is depending on who you ask, this list is kind of crazy for both sides. So TikTok, uh, YouTube, wherever this ends up, I got to chill. It's an opinion. <laughs> well, 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 the thing is like, I mean, our lists have four of the five same guys. So, I mean, like there, I mean, granted, you know, we all, we all have our different opinions, but I mean, there, there is like, there's some continuity between the players that Facts. we have. The only player that you didn't have was Mac Jones. You had Jalen Hurts in there. 
I'm gonna let that one go, but you know that's another story for another day. It's I, I that's nothing personal. It's one year opposed to two, and it's the fact that I think that's more of the Bill Belichick system as opposed to the quarterback itself. Because well, there were a lot of glimpses to where Mac looked a little underwhelming, and Jalen too, but with Jalen having no consistent offensive line with a multitude of injuries, as well as a lack of weapons, his best target was a rookie wide receiver, and his best target in his tight end missed six or seven games. I really do think that that combination was kind of like a, we have to put you in here because we don't have a choice. Well, you know, Kev, we kind of have to mention the fact that, you know, Mac Jones didn't necessarily have his best training camp receiver that we've ever seen in NFL history in Nikhil Harry. I mean, bro, like, I'm telling you, if you bring in that guy on a consistent basis... I mean, Max could throw for fifty touchdowns. <laughs> I mean, Jesus! Like, I mean, I'm telling you, that's Kyle's favorite player. For those of you that are unaware, oh yeah, we might as well mention it. <laughs> Nikhil Harry got traded to the Bears, um, and he's clearly heartbroken. You can see that he's crying internally. Yeah, he's um, he's really distraught over that trade from New England. I think somebody talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> oh me? Oh, I, I, I mean, I, I'm sulking. You know, I, I'm gonna go cry in a corner after uh, we finish this. Just, but I think somebody mentioned this on Twitter the other day. They were basically saying that I think the center for the Vikings had more yards after a catch, or almost similar yards after the catch compared to what Nikhil Harry is. And Nikhil Harry is a wide receiver, and this guy's a center. Hilarious. I'm like that. That that that, that, that says it all. Like, I'm just saying, dude. Like. If Mac had a fully capable training camp version of Nikhil Harry, it'd be over. Like, like the league's done. Like Mac, like Tom Brady and Randy Moss. I mean, you haven't seen anything until you see Mac Jones and Nikhil Harry. I mean, I'm just saying. But I'm no, like, it. no, like, I, like I, I understand like the point you were making about like Jalen's athleticism and my my issue. He's, is, he's like, dual threat, you know. That's all. Yeah, he he is. It's just that you even said this before that that, that their system that they run. Uh, with the Eagles' offense is atrocious. They picked it up in the second half, which is why they got to the playoffs. We all know that they did not run the ball for the life of them and had Jalen throwing the ball 30-plus times and then rushing 15 attempts, which if they repeat that success with Nick Sirianni, not success, excuse me, if they repeat that with Nick Sirianni this year, you're crazy. Just because you have A.J. Brown does not mean you do not run the ball. Got to have well, a, a happy balance, that's all. I mean, it tells me that they're definitely putting a lot more. They're definitely putting some faith into Jalen if they're going out and getting guys like AJ Brown. So, you have to. Got to bolster the wide receiving core if you're going to be able to throw the ball effectively twenty to five to thirty times a game. Going to have to. And we all know we can make the argument that the suggestion or the impl- the, the 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 implied Impl- that implication. Uh, implication. There you go. That AJ Brown is a top ten wide receiver when healthy. Yeah, it's just it's just a health issue. It's really kind of been yep. like AJ's thing. I mean, great receiver with, with with the bag that they gave him, bro. He better stay golden. Like I mean, like he better be like the perfection version of Achilles without the Achilles. You know what I'm saying? Like he needs to be like that <laughs> warrior shit. Because all I know is, man, there's I don't know a lot of Eagles fans. A lot of Eagles fans, as per usual, are hyped as shit about this season. And I think that they potentially win the division more than likely because I don't see Dallas doing it. I just personally I don't have faith in that. But we're not getting into predictions right now. I just I think Jalen finally has the season where he's got the targets. He's now engulfed in the system for over a year. 
He's got an offensive line. Last year, at the end of the year, they showed that they can run the football effectively. He's got to work on the accuracy issues and decision-making, but that comes with experience. And I think that he takes that next step into being one of the better quarterbacks. Not the best, but one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. So, like, top 15? I wouldn't be surprised if he flirts with that 16 to 15 line. Honestly, I have a lot of faith in him. I really do. I know that he's got the work ethic. I know that he's got the grind mentality coming from Alabama, going into Oklahoma, and, and just dominating in both, in both aspects. Coming into the league as a second or third round pick and, and sitting behind Carson Wentz. They gave him the keys to the kingdom a little bit early, in my opinion. But he found a way to do what he needed to do and get Philly to the playoffs, and that's the bottom line. You know what we should do Like before the season starts? We should do like... I know, like, Nick Wright kind of does, like, his whole, like, quarterback pyramid thing on um, mm-hmm. on first things first. I'm not saying, like, we do a pyramid or anything like that, but it's like, I think we got to definitely compile some sort of list, like, best quarterback in the league, you know, basically to, like... The I wouldn't mind doing that, honestly. I think, I think that would be interesting because there's two of us, and I feel like that can be two separate segments for individual content that we needed to make, and it's just an interesting conversation to have because the season's right around the corner. It'd be, it'd be kind of funny, though, like, on a, honestly, like, I... 16 through 30 would just be like a scrolling list of like the quarterbacks. And then honestly, I wouldn't start making my points uh, until I hit like the top 15. It might, it might be, it might be like a 15, 20 minute segment. I don't really care, but overall, I think that would just kind of be like a fun topic to go over as we get closer to the season. That'd be fun. I agree. And the fact that we had a lot of interesting comments about Davis mills and people were saying that we were shitting on Davis mills. Uh, for I, background I, information, I, I did. I did. Yeah. Background? No, no, no. no I, I don't care. It's not shitting on him. He started eleven games, and he plays on arguably the worst team in the league. In I, what world am I supposed to say that he is better than X, Y, and Z? He hasn't shown me anything. Your best weapon is Brandon Cooks, and he's five nine. <laughs> you know what? You, what, you know, what are we talking about? You, you know what's funny though? Because I actually, I was seeing some of the comments that people were making about Davis Mills. There were some games that he had last year that and weren't he looked really good. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't look that bad, right? And, and I, you know, it's not to say like you know he's like a scrub that's just just going to be out of the league in like the next three or four years or anything like that. But you know, overall, I mean, if I'm going to take Davis Mills over Baker Mayfield, like I might be on crack. Like I might be on crack. At least Baker has taken the Browns. To the, the playoffs. playoffs and have won a playoff the, game and Kev, fought with Pat Mahomes. Not Pat Mahomes. Was it Pat Mahomes? Think about that. Think about that. Baker led the Browns to the playoffs. I know. The Browns. With a playoff win is something that a lot of quarterbacks at this age, at this stage in their career, can't I, say that they've done. Like, that's a feat just by itself. Facts. So I, I, I'll give Baker a little bit of credit for that. People saying, like, Davis Mills is better than Baker Mayfield. I, Bro, they are smoking some good shit if they're thinking something along the lines of that. I think that people got misconstrued with this conversation. The biggest issue was they were talking about future projections and then what-if situations. In the, in, with the, the most common one that we got was Jameis is better. I'm going off of what Jameis, Jameis has provided. Jameis is the guy that threw 30 touchdowns, 5,000 yards, but 30 interceptions. Jameis is the guy that led the league in total turnover since he was drafted when he started with Tampa. In terms of pick sixes, fumbles, lost fumbles for touchdowns, all of it. Every statistical category in terms of the turnover, Jameis Winston has given me garbage. Did he start the season off 14-3 and in terms of touchdown to interception ratio? Yes. Did he finish the season? No. 
I'm not going to go off of what if. I'm not going to. He could have had an absolute shit second half of the year. He could have gotten hurt later in the season. Everybody's saying that he's better than Baker because of X, Y, and Z. Oh, Baker didn't throw for 5,000 yards. Yeah, Jameis also has never been to the playoffs. <laughs> what are we talking about right now? Like, Jameis Winston is also that guy that is just weird and awkward and just like that. That I'll never forget that Monday <laughs> night game against the Saints where he did that W like, like that's yeah, bro. That, that has nothing to do with his talent. But again, we're talking about Jameis Winston over Baker Mayfield. Baker has a playoff win and appearance. Baker has done more things for a horrible organization than Jameis ever did. And not to mention Jameis left Tampa wins the Super Bowl. Same roster, different quarterback. It's not that serious. Like it's 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 not close. So that's got to get X Nade out of the conversation. And I'm gonna let you handle this one because we're on the same page. Trevor Lawrence is better than Baker Mayfield after one season in the league in Jacksonville. I listen. I, I think not future predictions, no, not no, 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 future no. aspirations. You, you were saying something about people that look at Trevor Lawrence in regards to like his stature. In the league, everybody's hung up on his Clemson days. Get over it. We're not in college anymore. He's in the league. I don't want to. Fine. Urban Meyer, he'll get a pass because he was a horrible head coach, dramatic. He gets a pass for last year. Mm -hmm. But if we're exiting last season, right? If we're we're canceling that, he starts on a clean slate. A blank resume does not beat a resume with a playoff win. A blank resume does not meet four years in the league. A resume that, 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 that non existent year does not beat. Baker Mayfield giving everything he has to the city of Cleveland with a torn rotator cuff and busted kneecap, and everybody wanted to jump on the Baker sucks train when he was literally crippled with injuries. Nobody wants to talk about Trevor Lawrence's poor performance last year, but because he had he had Urban Meyer as a head coach, he gets a pass. Because he was a superstar in Clemson, he gets a pass. Because he was the top-rated, best talent we've ever seen coming out of high school since Peyton Manning, he gets a pass. Get off your high horse. We're talking about what happens right now and what has transpired in the last season. That's it. I, Baker I mean, Mayfield is better than Trevor Lawrence right now. And people were getting hung up on me saying that Mac Jones is better than Baker, but they were basically saying that Trevor's better than both of them. I'm like, Mac Jones went to the playoffs. The only argument is that that they they faced off again. Baker was hurt, so again, you can give that what and, if. And I, Mac but, has like, a better system with Bill Belichick as opposed to Kevin Stefanski's one year. We all know we take that hands down, and the system that was in New England worked better for Mac than the system that was up and down with injuries in Cleveland last year. Because Chubb missed time, yeah. Odell missed time, Landry missed time, and Joku missed time. Like, yeah. Cleveland was busted up last year, including Kareem Hunt, too, as a backup. So, well, you know, you really have to incorporate. There's a lot of shit that goes into it. You know, I try to factor in a little bit of everything. I try to factor what they've done a little bit from the past, like immediate past, like last season or so. Yeah. Then I'll kind of analyze where I think that player is going to be going into this season and then kind of what I see with their future production. And, like, for me, like, when it comes to, like, Baker Mayfield versus, like, Mac Jones or someone like that, I'm not I'm not as hopeful for Baker in Carolina with his total production compared to Mac Jones. Mac Jones, say whatever you want about the kid. The kid has continuity with the pieces that he has at his disposal going into his second year. Baker starting in a brand-new system with new pieces. And Robbie Anderson has already come out and said, 
that he's not necessarily warm to the idea of playing with Baker Mayfield at the quarterback position. And for God's sakes, Baker's going to be in a quarterback battle with Sam Darnold going into this training camp. Yeah. So overall, I think that Mac Jones has a more promising road ahead of him going into this season. And that's why I kind of gave Mac the edge over Baker. And like I said, Baker was hurt last year, and that definitely played a factor in the one head-to-head well, matchup we have, that they we have. We have to hold accountable each other. We said we're not going to be going off of future predictions. We have to go over what happened. And last year, obviously, Mac had a better season than Baker, so that's the reason yeah. why I gave it to Mac. But in terms of future aspirations, I agree with you completely. I don't have faith that Baker's going to be successful in Carolina because they have a depleted, injury-prone roster. Mac Jones, again, has the greatest head coach of all time, in Bill Belichick, a defense that always finds a way to create turnovers, and a run game that showed Mac only has to throw the goddamn ball less than five times to get a win. So I will give it to him for the sake of that argument, but in terms of a career output, I would say that Baker is better, but again, that's a hard comparison considering Mac Jones has only played one season. Well, that and that's true. I mean, Baker you know, has been to the playoffs and, and won a playoff game right. already, so I, I will give it to him in that regard. It's just that overall, like for me, I try to encapsulate a little bit of the past, a little bit of what I think is going to happen, you know, present day and then in the future as, as well. But like, I'm not talking like the next like five years or so. I'm talking about like the next year or so. So I right. try to, you know, encapsulate that within like a two to three year window and kind of like my overall analysis. It's tricky right. because you could just slice it and dice it a million different ways. You could say, who are you taking, Baker or Mac right now? And honestly, it's a toss up. If Baker's and- healthy... And Robbie and DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey are healthy. I'm not going out there and say that they're going to blow the New England Patriots off the door with, like, you know, pieces. Christian McCaffrey is better than every running back on the Patriots roster. Agreed or disagree? Well, when talent healthy. Well, talent-wise, yeah, Christian's better than all of them. There you go. Receiver-wise, DJ Moore is better than the two receivers that you named in Kendrick Bourne and, and, and uh, Nelson Aguilar. Disagree or agree? Well... I think just off a of talent. No, 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 no. Numbers also go into effect. DJ Moore is a consistently targeted and a talent that can create separation That's, as opposed I, to. I understand that, but it's like you're saying talent. I don't really base it off of talent. I base it off of production and effectiveness. DJ because Moore had a better productive season last year than both of your I, receivers. I understand that, but when it leads to overall team success, New England's offense have more team success than the Carolina But I'm, I'm, I'm asking individually right now. That's what I was asking. Like, just one-on-one, like, I think DJ Moore is better than your receiving room. Compared to each individual receiver? Yes. 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 So, Baker has the potential is what I'm getting at. The issue is, I do not believe that the protection that is going to be in Carolina is going to keep him up and healthy. That's fair. And Christian McCaffrey's injury history is just not exactly forgivable, (laughs) or forgettable, should I say. So... Baker's got some tools in front of him. Yeah. It's just a matter of can those tools stay healthy? And I think if 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 both quarterbacks go through the season healthy with no problems, God bless, mm-hmm. I think that Baker potentially could have a better overall quarterback year because he I could. think he's a better overall quarterback right now when healthy. He could. But I have to factor so, in the health part. I have to kind of factor in. That's what I said. That's what I said. I said if healthy. I said I, I think that Baker could have a better season. I'm not saying he's going to throw for 4,500 yards, 38 touchdowns, and fucking 10 picks. But I, I think that he can have somewhere along the lines of 28 to 32 touchdowns, maybe 12 to 15 interceptions, about 38 to 4,000 yards, something around yeah. that. He's just got to be consistent completion percentage. He's got to throw, he's got to complete over 60% of his passes. 
Mm-hmm. And he's got to have a good QBR, bro. Because he, he, yeah. he cannot sit there and, and, and just shit the bed in, like, check down situations and all that. But, but one point before we transition to our next segment. Yeah, because we've been on this a lot longer than I thought. Even though that when you look at the individual receivers with Carolina, with Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, just because I think those guys are better, that doesn't mean that the entire wide receiving core that the Carolina Panthers have is better is than the better. Patriots. No, 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 no. I, I agree. I, I think the Patriots have more in depth at their wide receiver position than what Carolina has. And I think, right. you know, when you look at guys like uh, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, uh, Jacoby Myers, Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, all those guys together. I mean, that's, that's a, a good, better cast. That's a better cast to roll with. And I, you know, that's what I mean by like effectiveness. I think that that grouping or that, you know, that wide receiver and tight end core, when you combine both of those together on what New England has, I think they're going to be more effective and they're going to be able to produce at a higher clip than just those two those two specific players with Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. That's not to discredit what DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson do on an individual level. Those guys are extremely capable wide receivers in the NFL. It's just, if you're going to tell me which wide receiver core am I going to take, I'm going to probably favor New England because you could, the, the, the distribution, you could equal out a lot more across the board when it comes to New England. And the individual output of the other two. Because the other two are going to have to, you know, produce at a much higher clip than what New England has with five different targets. Right. So that's, you know, honestly, in this sense, kind of take a Golden State line here, New England kind of has more strength than numbers in that regard. So, you know, it kind of depends on how you see it. But from an individual talent perspective, yes, DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson are better. That doesn't necessarily correlate to overall success. Right. When it comes to the, the total output of what a wide receiver core can do, though. But, yeah, those guys individually, as athletes, those, those guys are, are I would say, uh, above what the best wide receiver uh, New England has. Kendrick Bourne is the fastest one out of all of them. Kendrick Bourne has wheels. Yeah, dude, he's a burner. Robbie Anderson's fast, too, but I think Kendrick Bourne's got him beat speed-wise, yeah, personally, I think. But, uh, I mean, overall... Uh, I can't believe we actually kind of took that, took that out a lot longer than we did, but... But you know, I don't mind. Yeah, just you know, hey, bro. Like, there are a lot of people chiming in on that TikTok. It was a lot. A lot of haters, bro. That's the one thing I, I the, find the, the, comical the, the, about the that one, platform. The bro. one that got me was somebody was saying that Jameis is America's quarterback. That made me laugh. I, I found Jameis was what you cut out. What'd you say? I, they were saying that Jameis was America's quarterback. Right. I thought that was hysterical. Comical. That was great. I thought it was just amusing. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I mean, I could kind of see that, you know, the guy that's so crap like out of a Publix back in the FSU days. <laughs> hey, dude, I I, one, one guy came at me sideways, or, well, obviously probably came at you because he didn't know that I was the one responding to the comments. And something along the lines of, you guys don't know shit about football. This is a media chase, blah, 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 blah. And I just responded with, it's comical that you're coming at us with no proof of what we're talking about is incorrect. But, you know, Thanks for commenting and, you know, increasing the algorithm. And I put the clown emoji. I found it to be like I was cracking up while typing it because I knew exactly what to put. But it, I don't I will never understand on any social media platform. If someone is trying to create content, and you disagree with it. There's no reason to bash that content creator. I didn't come at you. Oh, I didn't oh, say that you were wrong. Oh, you can't. It's all neg- neg- negative they, criticism they is they, fine. They but, but to I don't, insult I don't people. 
I just I don't I, I never understood that, especially on the TikTok platform because it's it's a younger platform. Like they you just have freedom. people talking shit. They still have the freedom to do it. A lot of times, I just kind of think of it as trolling. I don't think I don't take it serious in any way, shape, or form. I never to took it like personal. That. I I just I don't think I've seen more negativity than on TikTok. And all I said was basically Baker is an average quarterback, which is basically, no matter how you look at it, it's a true statement. He's an average quarterback. And people were saying that I was like out of pocket, like to basically like assert like Baker was like mid tier. I'm like, that seems nobody said fair. <laughs> nobody like, said I, he was a top five quarterback. We said I, he was average. I, I I mean like compared to the younger guys, yeah, he's clearly better than all those guys. But like you're gonna put him up against like Kirk Cousins, Kyler Murray, Derek Carr. I, I'm taking everybody else other than Baker. And then once you get to the top tier quarterbacks, I mean, bro, what are we talking about then at that point? Like it's not even worth the discussion then at that point. Facts. So, but it's not to say that Baker's a bum. I never said that. Baker's and it's not a to bum. and it's not to say that he's an MVP. No, he's average. He's, he's right here. He's fine. Fine. That's, but no, like if people want to, you know, get toxic in the comments or whatever, I don't care. You know, people could do whatever you can say, whatever they want. It's not like they're going to like threaten or kill me or anything like that. No, 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 no. I, but, again, it was more of just the point of it's funny how toxic they are. That's all. I mean, I'd even go into that segment thinking I was being like, clout Not chasing or like media chasing nope. or anything like that like I, I spoke in the most like monotone voice that you Fact. could when you when you were asking me the comparisons between baker and another quarterback like it wasn't even like that big of a deal but overall it was just I, it's fun like to, like to me I, I i find the comments amusing especially when they really try to go after me i'm glad that you handled those comments because i would have i would have roasted people and i would have roasted people for fun just to make people's head spin I would have just yeah, done let's, that. Let's, let's, we're, we're up and coming and growing. When we get a little bit more of a following and people understand how we do things, then yeah. But you, right you, now, you think, that, you think that they're toxic? Wait till I get. Uh, wait till yeah, I get chippy yeah, in the yeah. comments. This, this is this is why I handle the social media part. Because <laughs> I, bro, I I get chippy. I'll get chipper. Good God. I, I think I think we've dragged this topic on a little bit more than we should have. But again, I have no regrets whenever we go on tangents like this because it's just fun. Exactly. Um, but this uh, this last one is going to be another change in sports. So we did basketball, we did some football, and now we're going to go into baseball. The All Star Game is happening next week. Obviously, we already talked about our winners, losers, you know, worst teams, surprising team. But now we're going to talk about our midseason awards: the MVP and Cy Youngs for both leagues in the American and National League. So, Kyle, I'm going to propose this one to you. Who do you have right now as your AL and NL MVP? Well, overall, like when it comes to the MVP, let's start with the AL first, just because when I look at the AL specifically, it really is down to two people right now. It's either Aaron Judge or Rafael Devers. I mean, when I look at these two specifically, these guys are having phenomenal seasons. Aaron Judge is playing in a contract year and is leading the league in home runs with 30. I mean, he's off to a phenomenal start. It's not just Aaron Judge. I mean, it's the Yankees to a larger extent. Like, the Yankees are just on fire this year. And Aaron Judge is essentially the primary force for the offense when it just comes to their bat production. The guy is just on fire. Um, I mean, the Yankees have over 60 wins, and he's a huge part of that. And then when I look at Rafael Devers, Devers has just been on an absolute tear this entire season. Granted, I wouldn't necessarily say 
that it's translating into success for the Red Sox because like the Red Sox are over like 13, 14 games back of the Yankees for first place in the AL East. But when it comes to Rafael Devers, specifically as an individual player this year, he's just on fire. If the guy keeps hitting at this pace of batting around 325 for the rest of the year, I have to consider him of possibly being the guy that might steal an MVP award away from Aaron Judge in that regard. But if I had to pick one over the other right now, I would give it to Aaron Judge simply just because the guy is leading the league in home runs. And I think to a a large extent, he's a huge pivotal piece on why the Yankees offense has been on fire this year. He's the leader of the team. And I think it's having basically a trickle-down effect to the rest of the roster. And the Yankees, when they're essentially the only team over 60 wins going into the All-Star break, I got to give it to him in that regard. And to me, even though I do think that it is close, I'm going to give a slight edge to Aaron Judge in the AL. Now, to kick it over to the NL, I think this is a runaway. I don't even think that this is close. It's Paul Goldschmidt. It's not even close. Paul Goldschmidt is having a phenomenal year with the St. Louis Cardinals. He's batting 343. He's hit 19 home runs. He's got 65 RBIs. The dude is just on another level. I mean, to me, when I look at the rest of the landscape for NL MVP, I mean, you can maybe come up with some guys like Nolan Arenado, Mookie Betts, Manny Machado. And and when you guys, you look at Manny Machado specifically, I mean, Machado's batting 316 this year. Granted, I wouldn't say that he's like hitting like moonshots compared to what he's done in the past. He only has 12 home runs this year. But overall, with Machado batting 316, I mean, he's off to a great start as well. But to me, this is a runaway. Paul Goldschmidt is by far and away the best player in the National League right now. Just when it comes to his his batting average, his on-base percentage, his slugging percentage, it's just like it's a night and day difference compared to everybody else that's running second, third, fourth place behind him. Overall, it's just it would be absolutely shocking to me if somebody were to catch up to Paul Goldschmidt at this point. The only thing that that where that scenario could possibly play out is if Goldschmidt just falls apart in the second half of the season, which I don't foresee happening. I think overall, I think Goldschmidt's got, I'll say it right now, I think Goldschmidt's got this wrapped up right now when it comes to the NL MVP, barring some sort of epic collapse in the last two months of the year. But overall, for my AL and NL MVP, in the AL, I got Judge, and in the NL, I got Paul Goldschmidt. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, do you want to go over specifically your AL and NL Cy Young Award winners, or do you want to tie in the MVP runners as well. Uh, I'm going to go right into the Cy Young only because I have that exact scenario for the MVPs. I'm in full agreement of what you said in terms of Aaron Judge and obviously Devers. And then, of course, Paul Goldschmidt, to me, is just a clear and overall favorite. So I don't have much to add there because you gave all their statistics throughout the season. In the AL and NL for the Cy Young, I'll start with the NL. I think that Sandy Alcantara out of Miami is just doing... Incredible things. I mean, I don't think I've seen a pitcher come into Miami outside of rest in peace, uh, Jose Fernandez, who was just an incredible talent. And we all know that he was just something that was going to be poised to be an incredible uh, overall pitcher in this league. But Sandy is 9-3 and with an ERA of 1.73. He's only got 111 strikeouts. Now, I know I'm saying only, and that's only because I know that Garrett Cole's up there with 130, if not 140. Uh, but again, over 100 strikeouts at the midpoint. He's leading and hopefully favored to go over 220 some odd strikeouts, depending on how he per, uh, 
how he performs. He's played 18 games, so to be 9-3 and three at this point is pretty incredible with a war of 5.1. And then you go and you look at the AL. I'm going to go with Tampa's Shane Mc. McCann, I don't know how to pronounce his name because McClanahan. McClanahan. You see what I mean? This I, I can barely read. Uh, McClanahan also has a, a mirrored record of nine and three. He's played seventeen games. He's got hundred and forty-one strikeouts. Um, the only reason I say that he is going to take it over Justin Verlander is because of how consistent he's doing it from an ERA perspective. Once again, he is also mirrored to Sandy with a one point seven three. And I think personally, the uh, obviously the Tampa Ray, the Tampa Rays, the Tampa Bay Rays are a competitive team in the AL East. Now I know what people are saying. Houston is the number one seed in obviously the AL West. Justin Verlander's coming off of an injury last year. He's doing it at an at an older age. I just think that McCann. McClanahan is doing it a little bit more impressive, being on a team that's not in first, being on a team that I believe personally is uh not a complete playoff contender. I think that they're up there. They're right around Boston in terms of their overall record, and they can compete for a wild card spot. But the fact that this kid is only, what is he, 25 years old? This is one of his first, if not second, seasons in the big leagues, and I think overall that this is going to be a a big jump for him, and I think that the consistency behind what it is that he's done so far and being able to strike people out and keep that ERA nice and low, I think that that's going to lead him to create the separation from Justin Verlander to to obtain his first ever Cy Young. Yeah, it's just, you know, we're just kind of reaching the, I mean, basically we're at a little bit past the midway point when it comes to the MLB season, but... No, I, Kevin and I both kind of thought that this would be a good topic to go over since we went over, essentially, the big winners from all the All-Star selections uh, last week with the segment that we had on that, or actually just a couple of days ago, excuse me. And then I figured, you know, this would be a good topic to go over, just the AL, NL, MVP race, and then the Cy Young on top of that too. But, you know, we're just kind of, you know, halfway through the regular season of the MLB, you know, we'll get a little bit of time to wind down uh, the season a little bit with the all-star break for a couple of days. And then, you know, pretty much, you know, going into the, like the latter part of July, you know, we're getting close to that run up to late August, early September, bro. When things get really interesting in ML- in the, uh, in the MLB world. So overall, you know, that halfway point, bro, that's where we're at. And believe it, to be honest, it, bro, it flies so fast. Not freaking, Pitchers and catchers starts in March, and then you, just, you go right into training camp, and then... I mean, no, pitchers and catchers report at the end of February. True, true. Obviously, we had a delay with the lockout, but, you know, baseball yeah. is moving relatively quickly, and nevertheless, so I'm... I'm really I know like for a, a fact... I, I know for a fact that this is just interesting. I just found out that Shane McClanahan is also from Cape Coral, so shout out to, uh, shout out to Shane. Yeah, that's around like for this around the Fort Myers boys down there. Yeah, something like that. But uh, that about wraps it up for me uh, on my end. Uh, Kyle, you got anything else? No the the thunderstorm has moved out. Uh, the, there were there were a couple segments where I kind of had to take a pause and I kind of had to look outside and make sure everything was good because some of those thunderclaps were kind of close. They were they were yeah. really loud. So it's just kind of one of those days where it's just storms are everywhere, bro. So at least, hey, we didn't lose power. So I'll take that any day. 100%. I'll definitely do that. Uh, but uh, that wraps it up for me, guys. Uh, probably not going to record Sunday. More than likely going to record on Monday. Uh, Friday is my birthday. I'll be going out of town for the weekend with the missus and some friends. 
So we'll just be kind of cooling it out there. Actually, in, in, in my partner's neck of the woods out there in Tampa. So hopefully him and I get to connect. We haven't seen each other in a couple years, which is kind of crazy when you say that out loud, considering we do this every other day, it feels like. I know. It's it's honestly like this is like it's like a version of like just going to like each other's houses just on an online version. Basically, that's what that's exactly what it feels like. And the, to know that we actually haven't seen each other in a while, like I think what 2019 before covid yeah that was the last time we saw each other when you came down to fort myers it was for your birthday i think it was for my birthday i forgot what we did too we didn't do actually we didn't do anything i got sick yeah or wait wait, i got food i got food poisoning was the miami trip before then way before then because miami trip was before i got with isabel okay okay i'm just trying to remember the remember the timeline yeah, no, you came over. Uh, we had dinner with my dad and my mom. And then literally right before dinner, I was in the toilet bowl for no reason. I didn't even start drinking or nothing. I just had food poisoning for that day. Hey, stomach problems happened to the worst of us. It happened to the best of us, bro. So It just sucked that it happened on my actual birthday and that you drove all the way to Fort Myers to cool it. And I was sick that weekend because you had to leave the next day because you had work. Yeah, it happens, though. It happens, yeah, so. it's all good. Hopefully, we get to link up this weekend. But guys, um, I'm but, not going to be able to talk to you guys for a few days, so that about wraps it up on my end. Before I wrap it up, I I got to give my partner in crime over here huge birthday shout out. Granted, I know it's a couple days away still, but I figure got to throw it out there into the universe. Just, bro, getting, getting closer to thirty, my guy. Okay, <laughs> Get, getting closer. But no, okay. I'm gonna, I'm going to put the jokes to the side. You know, I I want to wish you know Kevin you know, a happy birthday before, you know, it actually happens. And, uh, just, uh, just hold it down. Things might get I'm crazy. Down. I'm, I'm Things, might get crazy. Things might get crazy, but you know, overall hold it down, bro. Eh, I think, I think I'm past the crazy point, bro. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm not going out, hanging out with the boys or nothing like that. We're literally going to cool it at the beach. We'll have a couple of drinks, but for sure. But dude, this one's more of a, I want to get away just to kind of just enjoy the actual Florida side. You know, like I feel like we get so engulfed being from up north of, you know, we lose track of what we what we have in front of us. And I Mm -hmm. want to sit by the beach and sit in front of the pool for a couple of hours. Granted, I know it's summertime, so I have to get up early and do it before the rain comes. But I just want to relax, sit at the sun, get some color, you know, actually send some pictures to my freaking family that they believe I live in Florida because they always say whenever we video chat, why are you so pale? Don't you live in Florida? And I'm like. Grandma, I work eight to five, if not eight to six. By the time I go outside, the sun's coming down. Oh, I'm almost like darker than you, but I'm out in the sun all the time. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a whole different context. That, 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 so, that's, I mean, that, that, that's the, that, I mean, I'm outside all the time, so it's like the sun. It just I'm attracted to it just because I get the sun all the time. But no, it's just. Uh, but no, bro. I, I I hope you have a great day. And um, I, I appreciate it. And, uh, we'll be linking up. We'll we'll figure it out. Yeah, and that was what, that's what I was about to say. Just you know, hope we can link it up on the weekend it'll be fun oh absolutely but guys that's a that's about everything for us we appreciate you know all the support we've had with the couple of successes we've had in uh, some youtube shorts and some tiktoks that are still currently erupting uh but we'll have some more content poised for you guys we've got a lot of things coming up in the pipeline we have a lot of content saved up to post out there on social media so just you know be aware probably be back on monday and uh again man i really appreciate the shout out from my partner and uh we'll be seeing you guys again soon We'll see you guys later, all right? Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. 
Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for The The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women.